0: I'd like to read two passages as we open up. I'd like to read from the Old Testament, from the New, two common passages. I've been doing a bit of a study in children this week, and I just want to share some of that with you. If you'd open with me, please, to Deuteronomy in chapter 6, and we will read from verses 4 to 9, and then we'll jump into Matthew 19. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then Matthew 19, 13 to 15 reads, Then children were brought to him, that he may lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom. For such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and went away. Shall we bow our heads and pray? Lord, I thank you that we can gather together this morning as your people. I thank you that we can gather together with Ryan, with Naomi, as a church family, with their wider family, Lord, and show our support for them. Lord, that they're able to make this declaration that they will bring up their daughter to the best of their ability in your ways. Lord, we thank you for all that has been given this morning as well. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that abundantly blesses all of us. Some in ways we know, some in others that we don't see. But Lord, all that's been given this morning, we give to you and we ask that it would be used to extend your kingdom both here and afar. Lord, open our hearts. Speak to each one of us. Amen. I guess there's three questions I kind of want to answer this morning that are going to shape our point. So I'm going to be going into both of these passages because I think they come together really nicely. But the first question I want to ask is, what does God think about children? The second question I want to ask is, what is our responsibility as a family? And the third question I want to ask is, that's a great question. What is my third point? That's really not helpful. I do know this, I promise. Yes, children are a part of this church. What is a child's place in this church? Do you know, I think it's incredible as we read this story of these children that were able to spend time and interact with Jesus. And I guess in the act of dedication, we're following something of that example. I think about the parents that brought those children, how delighted they must have been that Jesus spent time with them. There was a couple that had two little boys, aged eight and ten, and they were really, really mischievous. They were always causing trouble. They were always getting into trouble, and the parents knew that if there was any trouble going on round about, it was probably them. If you found them, problem solved. They were probably involved. And the boy's mother heard that a preacher was in town who has successfully disciplined children, so she asked if he would speak with her boys, and the preacher agreed. But he wanted to see them individually. So the mother sent the first. He sent the eight-year-old son in the morning. And the older boy would go in the afternoon. This preacher was a big man with a booming voice. And he sat down with the younger boy. And he said to him sternly, where is God? The boy's mouth dropped. But he made no response. Sitting there with his mouth hanging open wide-eyed. The preacher repeated the question in a sterner tone. Where is God? Again, the boy made no attempt to answer. So the preacher raised his voice even more. He shook his finger in his face and he bellowed, where is God? And the boy screamed and he bolted from the room. He ran directly home, dived right into his cupboard, slammed the door behind him. And when his older brother came into the closet, he opened the doors and said, what happened? The younger brother, gasping for breath, said, we are in big trouble this time, dude. God is missing and they think we did it. The first, thing, the first thing that I want to affirm and bring to us this morning is children are a blessing. It's fundamentally what Jesus believed. It's fundamentally what Jesus showed in those couple of verses. Then children were brought to him that he may lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. In Mark and Luke, they use the words bringing. This idea that constantly and repeatedly there are children coming to Jesus. This wasn't this one-off event where somebody had brought a couple of kids. But this was frequently happening. And it would have been heard that Jesus was giving time to children. So I imagine that more and more children were being brought to Jesus. Parents were drawn to this teacher that loved children. And it was becoming known. What we read are predominantly small children, infants, little children that are being brought to Jesus. These were children that were being brought by parents, not old enough to take themselves and go. And the parents brought them so that Jesus may bless them. And I just want you to imagine the scene for a minute, that you're with Jesus. You're one of his disciples and all day, every day, all you do is spend time with people constantly, people, and it gets specifically annoying because he always stops to speak to the people that really, why does Jesus bother stopping and speaking to you? And finally, towards the end of the day, you finally have time alone with Jesus. Hallelujah, now I can spend time with him. And then up rocks, this group of parents with their kids, and you just think, oh, not again. Not again. And disciples are having none of it. Leave him alone. As more and more parents turn up, the disciples continually try to send them away. And it's funny because at this point they spent almost two years with Jesus and they still know nothing about Jesus. They clearly don't understand. I think it's interesting as we looked at Bartimaeus a couple of weeks ago in our family service. What did they do to Bartimaeus? They rebuked them. Just a couple of chapters later, a chapter later, we see this. That again, the disciples aren't really learning their lesson. But why? Why did the disciples turn away the parents? Because Jesus had better things to do. Surely, surely he had better ways to spend his time. Surely he was better to preach to thousands, to preach to the multitudes, to heal people in front of masses of people. Surely. It's incredible as you read through just the number of encounters that Jesus spends and takes time with unimportant people. In the last few chapters, we read of the epileptic boy healed. We read of the feeding of the thousands, the healing of the multitudes. Surely Jesus has had enough of people that weren't very prominent in society. But Jesus is having none of it. And he's angry. The first reason I think he's angry is because Jesus loves children. Jesus loves babies. Because he understands that they are God's creation. He feels this deep love and this deep affection towards children. I think he feels a sympathy for them because he sees the world in which they are born into. The salvation of this world came through that baby in the most unassuming of ways born in that manger. And that's no coincidence that the Lord didn't come in a golden chariot, but came in that manger. But the disciples seemed completely oblivious. I think he was also angry because he loves adults. And he knows that if you send away somebody's child, the adult is going to have zero time for you. If you send away somebody's child, if you disrespect their child, you can't then expect to have the attention of the parents. He knew that the first and foremost way to get to the heart of a parent was through their child. And I think we see that in a lot of the ministry of the church. That the ways that we engage family units is first of all we engage and we interact and we love children. When we love children, parents are so much more open. They're so much more willing to spend time with you because they see your authenticity and they see the time that you are willing to spend with children. I think it is crucial, but if parents see you loving and caring for their children, they have time for you. I think Jesus is also angry because the disciples had this kind of idea that somehow children were out with the care of God that somehow they were unimportant in all of this. But Jesus affirms it. He says, you know what? Not even a baby is outside the love of God. No one is out of the concern of God. God is concerned with and loves everyone. He has time for everyone. No one's intruding on Jesus. And also, they provide this great picture. They provide this incredible illustration of the kingdom of God, and evidently he takes advantage of that and uses that. In just the passages that go before this, we see Jesus teaching revolutionary stuff about marriage and about divorce. And what he says here about children is no less incredible. Jewish, not even just Jewish culture, but culture of the time, doesn't treat children particularly badly, but they weren't considered important. It was just shut up seen and not hurt. Children had no rights. They had no status. They didn't matter much until they grew up. So when the disciples were moving people along who were bringing children to Jesus, they were doing so in a fairly typical fashion, in a fashion that would be expected. Anybody would do that, surely. If there's an important person comes to town and it's children that want their attention, unless they're doing a nice cute little primary school visit for the camera, let's just send them away. We don't need them. But Jesus... Made children a priority in a culture where children were not the priority. We know from what Jesus says that frequently the kingdom of God has this habit of turning things inside out and upside down. That Jesus views children as this precious, precious blessing that are to be honoured and time given to them. But he goes further, doesn't he? The kingdom of God belongs to those such as these. Children matter. Children have so much to teach us. The attitudes of trust. The simplicity. The fact that there is no arrogance and no pride in a small child. The fact that they are completely and utterly dependent upon their parents. These are all characteristics of true discipleship. of People that are dependent upon God. That have no pride because everything that they have is found in God. Those qualities are priceless. And that's what he uses. That's what he uses, this picture of children. Do you know, I love it. Jesus doesn't just tolerate children. He welcomes them. He doesn't just say, sit there until you have your little tantrum in 10 minutes' time. But he welcomes them. And I think that's an incredible statement. What does it look like for us as a church? Not to just tolerate children, but to welcome children, to bless children, to pray for them, and to encourage them. Jesus never drove them away. He rebuked those that wanted to send them away. And in the hands of Jesus, children find blessing. Do you know, it fills my heart with so much joy to see so many children and young people amongst us. I love it on a Sunday morning when we just see them all piling out and the numbers that we have. And do you know, we just pray. Just pray. Pray for them. Encourage them. Children are a blessing. They're a blessing to their parents. They're a blessing to their families. They're a blessing to this community. And we must never lose sight of that blessing that children are. We see that this morning. Olive is a blessing to her parents. She is a blessing to her family. And she is a blessing to us. I want to dive back into Deuteronomy as we look to our second point. In fact, I put a joke in there because it was quite funny. The next slide, please. Children are also full of joy. Dear God, thank you for my baby brother. But what I prayed for was a puppy. I love it. Children are full of joy. They're fun. You should never think about that. We always think of things really seriously when we think about children. And we talk about children. Why? Because children are so full of joy, just as the kingdom of God is full of joy. The second point, our responsibility as a family, I'll just read verses 6 to 9 from Deuteronomy there. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a signpost on your hand, and you shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts, Of your house and on your gates. When should we talk about God? The 30 seconds before dinner time. In our structured allotted time of prayer before we go to bed. These things are good, these things are important. But what this passage tells us is to talk of our God. When we sit down, when we walk, when we lie down, when we wake up. All the time. As parents, the spiritual nourishment and discipleship of your children is primarily your responsibility. Today, that's what we recognize. We recognize the responsibility of Ryan and Naomi. We recognize that as followers of Jesus Christ, it is their duty. It is their desire to bring all of up in a way that honors God. None of us can do that for them. Yes, we can encourage them. Yes, we should encourage them. Yes, we should support them. Absolutely, we should pray for them. But we see this narrative the whole way throughout Scripture. The discipleship starts in the home. It doesn't begin with church or with friends. But the heartbeat of a child's engagement with Jesus Christ and the ways of Jesus Christ come from the home. You know, you spend so much more, vast vast amounts more time with your children than anybody else. Youth for Christ did a survey recently uh, of Generation Z, which I think is 14, roughly 14 to 18 year olds. And they interviewed a thousand young people. And they asked this question. Who influences your thoughts about faith and religion the most? 73%, they could pick more than one answer. 73% said family. 36% said friends. And 9% said youth worker. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but parents have the greatest influence by a country mile over any bit of research that we see over their children. And you know, we have fantastic people in this church. We have fantastic people right now that are working away, discipling our children and young people all throughout the week. In our girls' brigade, in our boys' brigade, in our Bible studies, we have so many different ways in which we have great people that are supporting and encouraging the discipleship of our young people and our children. But the ultimate, ultimate responsibility comes to the parents. The discipleship and the diligent teaching of the word are what we are called to give to our children. That is a responsibility. Teach the ways of the Lord diligently to your children. Be diligent, show care. Do it lovingly. Caringly and lovingly teach the ways of the Lord to your children. Do you know, I don't need to go into this, but the majority of what our children, the vast majority of what our children face in this world is not of God. They will spend much more time in the world than outside of the world. The agendas of school, of their friend groups, of the media, they're not in the main agendas of God. So we must be diligent in the way that we bring up our children to teach them. The ways of God. And I think there's a pattern here that we find in Deuteronomy. That we're given to effectively teach children. At the beginning in verse 4. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. In other words if we're going to teach right. We must know right. It all begins with worshipping the true God's. How can we commit ourselves to teaching our children if we are not being taught continuously of the true God? And then the passage says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What does it mean? It means we must be sure of what we believe. Not only in a right theology, but in a right heart. We've got to commit our children not only to truth, but in a way of conviction from us. In a way that comes from a heart that loves. A heart that is pure and a heart that wants to see for our children what is best for them. If we want to teach our children well, we have to be right with God first. It has to be internal. It can't just be external. It can't just be those small moments. But it has to be embodied in who we are. And verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. I think this teaches us that we need to teach our children from life situations. Faith isn't some obsolete, separate thing to the rest of life. But actually our faith is embodied in every bit of who we are. If our hearts are right with God, if we are memorizing, internalizing the things of God, if we are knowing, chewing over the things of God, if our hearts are filled with love and a passion for God, if we love him with our heart, with our minds, with our strength, that's where we find we can teach. When we stand, when we sit, when we walk, when we lie. Every opportunity is a great opportunity to speak to our children of faith. It's great to sit and read Bible stories with children. It's fundamentally important. But children need to see that our faith is real to us. They need to see it applied in our lives. How often do we underestimate our children? It constantly amazes me how much we try and simplify things for our teenagers and they are doing maths that I definitely don't understand. Kids are clever. They can take in these things but how often do we underestimate them? But I think it's important that our faiths are embodied, that our faiths, that we are speaking to our children constantly. Do you know what? I face this situation This is where God is and amongst this. So that faith isn't some separate thing from our life. And verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. What does it mean? Give lots of reminders. Maybe that is in physical things. In scriptures around the house. I don't know. With things that are around. Do we have Bibles around? Is the Bible accessible in our homes? Do we read them stories? Do we sing songs that put truth at the centre and in the minds of our children? Just little reminders. It's important. And the third thing that I want to look at is what is a child's place in the church? And we fundamentally believe that children are a part of this church. The second part of Matthew nineteen fourteen: for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. A quote from Snoopy. Lucy speaks to Snoopy and says, There are times when you really bug me. But there are also times when I feel like giving you a hug. And Snoopy replied, That's the way I am. Huggable and buggable. How good does that sum up, children? Fantastic. Do you know, I was listening to a great man this week, a guy Almola, who is the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary. And I just want to read you this, because it's so, what he said so brilliantly sums things up. He says this, Children are to be welcomed amongst Christ's people Always. Whenever children are found, they are to be welcomed by Christ's people. We are to be welcoming, we are to be more welcoming than anyone else to children. Our churches should not be places where adults cannot wait to put the children away in order to get to the adult task of worship. One of the scandals of so much of modern evangelicalism is that we send people to their rooms as soon as we get to church. He's not arguing, uh, to sum it up, he's not arguing against the nursery of infancy. He's not arguing against the appropriateness of, of teaching for children because those things are vitally important. But what he's saying is that as you look at the church congregation, you should see a congregation... He says you should see young people, you should see young couples, you should see older couples and older people and younger people and those coming into the final seasons of their life and those at the beginning seasons of their life. You should see those people sitting in the pews whose feet can't even touch the floor. And we in church should welcome the wiggling and the squirming and we should hope that what is happening is that word of God is reaching those hearts in ways those children don't even recognize. They are speaking as children, they are thinking as children, they are reasoning as children, and the word of God can reach where we cannot go. Do you know I listened to that this week and it was just phenomenal? Such true words. And I love it, and I love this church because I do believe that we are a welcoming church. I do believe that we do so much for our children and our young people. I believe that we are committed to them. And I think it's fantastic that they are involved in the life of the church, that they are with us during important moments as dedications, as being with us in the opening of our worship. I think it's vitally important for their lives. As we read Matthew 19, you, know, you just Google Jesus and children. And you click on the images and it makes me want to be sick. Because they're just cute. And it's just like all these little children that are so nicely sitting, listening to Jesus. You don't have to go into a classroom to know that the second somebody comes into a room, every child isn't instantly well behaved. The scene of Jesus with these children. How daft are we to think that all these children are completely in awe of God, that they're perfectly still, that they're massively well behaved. We don't have to spend much time with children to know that doesn't happen. Would the disciples have sent away perfectly behaved children that just came and sat and did as they were told? Maybe. But they definitely would have sent away children that were disruptive. They definitely would have sent away children that can't sit still. But do you know what? Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't say, leave them be. He doesn't just say it's okay, they can be here, we can tolerate them. But he says that the kingdom of God belongs to those such as these. We just see this incredible picture of God turning things upside down. Turning our understanding. He isn't just saying let them come. But he's saying be like them. There is so much we can learn from our children. If the kingdom of God belongs to those such as children. Then surely they hold a great place in the body of Christ here on earth. We have a responsibility as a church for our children. We have a responsibility for the, church, the children that are within our community. Each of us has a responsibility as an example. We have a responsibility to show the word in our lives, in the way we speak, in the way we act. Children are always watching. Do you know the amount of times the young people can say, you said this? And I was like, did it? Apparently I said you're not allowed a girlfriend or a boyfriend before you're 18. I don't remember that. Maybe I did. I don't think so. But apparently I did. Kids get great memories. But we are called to be living examples of the transforming work and the transforming power of Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility to help educate our children in God's ways. We have a responsibility to encourage our children. I can't emphasise encouragement enough. I think encouragement is so vitally, vitally important. Please, encourage our children, encourage our young people. Because I have the privilege of seeing what it's like when they receive some kind of praise or some kind of encouragement and the amount that it means to them. But also pray. I don't think there's many generations that have needed as much prayer as the children of our generation just now. Let us, as a fellowship, let's be committed to the prayer and the lifting up of our children. Let us pray continually for God's blessing upon them. Let's pray continually that God's hand would be with them, that his protection would be over them. And that one day, may God reveal himself in all of his glory to our children. Just to finish, you know what? Children can be noisy. Children can be annoying. But children have as much place in this church as anybody else. This morning is we bring all of before God. We bring back to God what is already God's. Let us reflect on this. Let us reflect on the fact that, you know what? The kingdom of God is rather simple. The ways of our God are incredible and mind-blowing, but at the same time, they are pretty simple. Let us be like children. Let us be fully surrendered and fully dependent on God. Let us rely wholeheartedly on God. Let's put to the side the arrogance and the pride that can come with life. And let us be dependent on our God. Shall we pray? Lord God, we thank you for the blessing the children are to us. We thank you for the joy that they bring. In sometimes difficult situations... We thank you for the ways in which they are oblivious to the things of the world. We thank you for the fact that there are so many things that we can learn from our children. Lord, would you teach us? Would you humble us? Would you humble us to a point where we can learn from our children? For the kingdom of God or for those such as these. You are an awesome God. It is a privilege for us to gather together. It is a privilege for us to come together in your name. What a joy it is to join together. What a joy it is to come before our perfect and our awesome God. Amen.